Everybody, it's good to be with you this morning. Uh, what I say every week at the beginning of our, our RUF is that RUF, we believe, you're never so bad that you're beyond the reach of God's grace. And at the same time, you're never so good that you're beyond the need of God's grace. So that means wherever you find yourself coming into this weekend, uh, if you feel like you're crushing it or if you feel like you're being crushed, uh, we're really glad that you're here. What you need more than anything is to hear about the accomplished work of Jesus for you. That's what RUF is all about. We're going to remind you about that uh, to the point where it might get a little annoying, and we're okay with that. That's what RUF is all about. And so I'm kicking off our series this weekend. So we're going to be going through a series called, uh, that we're calling Being Human. <laughs> Being Human. And so we're going to examine kind of three things that are true about human beings. Uh, one, we're finite. Two, we falter. And third, we are forgiven. So today, I'm going to talk about the fact that we're finite, that we have limits, uh, this evening, we're going to hear from Brandon about the fact that we falter, that we're imperfect. And then tomorrow morning, David is going to be talking to us about how we are forgiven in Christ. So being human. And our hope is that this weekend, it can be a chance for you as you step back from campus a little bit. It can be a chance for you to be, to be reminded of who you are, to be reminded of who you are, to take a deep breath. And our hope is that you'll be able to enter back into campus more comfortable being a human being who is loved by Jesus. If we do that, then we've been successful this weekend. So with that, uh, we're going to talk about what I'm calling the good news of our limits this morning. So if you would pray with me, and then we can get started. Gracious Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for this weekend. We thank you for this time that we can be together, uh, that we can uh, consider what it is that your word says about being human. Uh, Lord, Many of us are bringing a lot of uh, tiredness uh, that is kind of surprising for how early it is in the semester. Um, and so, Lord, I pray that you would meet us where we are. Lord, that you would enable us to, to sit and to learn from you. Um, Lord, many of us are feeling really excited to be here. I'm thankful for that. I, I just pray that you would meet us where we are by your spirit and that you would open our eyes, show us Jesus, and take us where we need to go. Um, Lord, be with my friends as they listen. Be with me as I speak. I pray, Lord, that um, you would be glorified. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so there's a new show out um, on Disney Plus uh, called Limitless. Anyone aware of this? It's Chris Hemsworth. Uh, he plays Thor, right? So hot right now. Um, Chris Hemsworth, uh, basically the idea is, that's a Zoolander reference, I'm not, he is good looking, but that's not what I was saying. Um, great start, Thomas, all right. Um, but the show Limitless, it's basically, it's based on the premise of, uh, it's, it's trying to figure out how we can live better longer. Um, the idea is that human beings have these limits, and there's something that we need to overcome. There's this new scientific research, right, that's enabling us to kind of break down every barrier. There's things like age reversing. Uh, this, the, the description of the show says this, new scientific research is shattering conventional wisdom about the human body and offering fascinating insights into how we can all unlock our body's superpowers to fight illness, perform better, and even reverse the aging process. This science is put to the test by Hemsworth, who despite being in peak superhero condition, yes, we know, is on a personal mission to learn how to extend our health, strength, and intellect further into our later years. Undergoing a series of epic trials and extraordinary challenges in order to understand the limits of the human body, he will learn firsthand how we can live better for longer 
by discovering ways to regenerate damage, maximize strength, build resilience, supercharge memory, and confront mortality. I mean, who doesn't want, like, Thor to tell them how to live longer, right? (laughs) That sounds like a great, great show. Uh, Shortly after the filming of this show started, there was a news article that came out that filming had taken a little bit of a pause. Uh, Because in filming this show, Chris Hemsworth had undergone a series of genetic tests. And through these genetic tests, he found that he has this super rare uh, setup with his genes that it's called the APOE4 gene. And most people have one, but he has two. And what this means is it gives him an extremely elevated risk for Alzheimer's. In fact, he is 10 times more likely to get Alzheimer's than a normal person. Can you imagine what that felt like for him to get that diagnosis? And and it's hard not to point out a little bit of the irony here. He's filming a show called Limitless that's all about defying our limits. And here he is brought face-to-face with what could be a crippling limit for him. And I doubt that many of us have experienced something so large as uh, Hemsworth did here, but I know that we've all had an experience where we've tried to do something and we've come face-to-face with our own human limitations. I'm sure many of you have tried to do the whole thing where you just like don't do anything but study for a week in order to overcome uh, this like string of exams that you have, or you like uh, skip meals because you're like, I don't have time to eat right now, I've got to study and the unfortunate thing is, like, eventually, right, like, the other shoe's going to drop. Like, you're going to get tired. You're going to burn out. You're going to have a panic attack, something. You're going to be brought face-to-face with your limits. And I think uh, it's a universal experience on some level that we don't love this. We don't love the fact that we have limited capacities. We don't love the fact that we can't just, like, not sleep when we have a lot to do. We don't love the fact that we have to eat, that we have to drink water, that we have to exercise. We don't love our limits. We feel on some level maybe that there's something wrong with us because we can't answer every text. We can't ace every test. We can't be close friends with every person. We, we, we feel like our limits are something that are constraining us, that we shouldn't, be able, like we shouldn't have to submit to. And so that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. I, I want to talk about our limits, just have a frank discussion on our limits. I want to explore where do these limits come from? Where do they come from? So what's the foundation of our limits? I want to explore the the frustration of our limits, what's frustrating about them. And then finally, I want to consider the freedom of our limits. So that's going to be um, our three points if you want to take notes. The foundation of our limits, the frustration of our limits, and the freedom of our limits. So let's just jump in. First, the foundation of our limits uh, if you have a Bible, uh, if you want to turn to Genesis 1, 26 through 27, pretty easy one to find. It's, it's right there in the beginning. I'll give you a second to find it. Um, it's right there in the beginning. That was good. Um, yeah, so this is the story of the creation of humanity, right? So this that we're reading here, it is before sin has entered into the world. Uh, this is God's good creation. He is setting up things for how that they're uh, going to continue on. And so starting in verse 26, this is what God says. He says, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him, male and female, 
he created them. Okay, so there are, I mean, there are books written on this passage. I'm not going to be able to tell you everything on this passage, but I just want to tell you uh, two things that I think are really significant, especially as we think about limits. So the first is this. We are created to be like God. We are created for the express purpose of being like God. You see it in verse 26. God says, let us make man in our image. There's something about us that we're supposed to have like a, the bearing of God. Like when people look at us, they're supposed to see something that is, is beautiful, something that is divine. Uh, later, later in the Bible, uh, we're talked about as kind of the pinnacle of creation. More glorious than anything in all the world. We're supposed to be like God. We're made after his likeness. So we display who God is. But also, it says, uh, God says, let them have dominion. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and everything on earth. Uh, This language of dominion, this is the language of kind of a king who is ruling over something. So if you've read uh, the early part of Genesis, there's kingly language all over it. God is the king who he speaks and it happens. And here we see God the king creating humanity to be royal. We're supposed to be the kings and queens of creation. We're supposed to have dominion. So we have a bearing like God. We're we're made in God's image, and we do God-like things. Okay, so we are created to be like God. So that's the first thing. But the second thing, and it's equally important, is we are not God. We are not God. We're created to be like God, but we are not God. God, God is the one who created human beings. You see this at the beginning of the the passage. God says, well, let's let's make man like us. God was the one who came up with the idea of creating human beings. It wasn't that we somehow wrestled ourselves into existence. God spoke, and there were human beings. He created us out of the earth. We exist in dependence on God. Uh, This is something that theologians call the uh, creator-creature distinction. The fact that there is God who creates everything and there are creatures, which is everything that's not God. We are not God. And from the opening pages of scripture, we see that God is the one who knows everything. God knows all. The theological word for that is he's omniscient. Another theological word, God is omnipotent, meaning he's all powerful. And then God is omnipresent, meaning that God is not defined to space the same way that we are. He he is everywhere. And I think it's a, it's a really crucial point that we see in Genesis 1. We were never designed to be like God in those specific ways. This is before sin entered into the world. This is God's good creation. He said this is very good. He said that it is very good that human beings don't know everything. He said it's very good. If you remember early in the book of Genesis, uh, the human beings are, were, were commanded not to eat from a certain tree, a tree of knowledge. There is just knowledge that we're not supposed to have, and God says that is very good, even though God knows everything. Uh, The next thing is we're we're not meant to have all power. Uh, Even in the early part of, you know, before sin enters into the world, God establishes this pattern of working for six days and stopping. God establishes this pattern of day and night, of rest I think we're to imagine that that our first parents, before sin entered the world, they slept. They rested. They got tired. That's part of God's good creation. 
And then we're also, we're not meant to be everywhere. God says he creates man and woman and puts them in the garden, into a specific garden, a specific place on earth. And he says, work this garden and keep this garden. God is essentially, he's saying, you are, you are meant to live where your two feet are. You are not supposed to be everywhere. You are local, and there's nothing that you can do about that. So why does all this matter? Why does it matter that we're created to be like God, but we're not like God? Um, so I, uh, I recently um, took my almost two-year-old daughter, Louise. She's in the back there. Um, I recently took her to a gymnastics class. And you're allowed to laugh at the image of me being in a gymnastics class with my daughter. Um, But it was a little bit uh, traumatic for me walking into that space uh, because the last time I was in a gymnastics class, I was asked to leap. Um, (laughs) It's a great story. So I I was three years old, maybe three or four years old. Uh, I remember it. So maybe four. I don't know. In any case, it was in Marion, North Carolina, where I was raised. My mom signs me up for this gymnastics class. It's kind of like an intro to tumbling. You know, I imagine we're probably walking on the low balance beam, just doing really, really basic stuff. And I remember that it was taught by a high school girl who was a gymnast. Um, And she was really passionate about it. Uh, But apparently, uh, three or four-year-old Thomas found her leadership somewhat lacking. Um, (laughs) This uh, this girl, I'm sure she knew what she was talking about, knew what she was doing. she was not able to stop me from leading a coup against her in the class. Um, so she started saying, you know, we're going to do this thing. And I was like, no, we're not. That's stupid. We're going to do this. I probably didn't say stupid because I would have gotten spanked if I said stupid. But, you know, the idea. Um, so I just led this class and decided that we're going to do something completely different. And, and chaos ensued, right? Like chaos ensued. I, you know, you imagine kids just like hanging from the walls everywhere. And there's this little like high school girl who's having a breakdown in the middle questioning everything, all because I was like, listen, you're not that good of a leader. I'm a better leader. We're going to make this happen. Okay, see, I was supposed to be like her, okay? I was supposed to do the things that she said. There was a limit that was kind of baked into this class, okay? The limit was the teacher is the one who knows what she's talking about. You're supposed to do what she does. And what happened when I transgressed that limit? When I transgressed that limit, chaos ensued. Chaos ensued, so much so that I was asked not to come back to the class, and I never did. Guys, I could have been a gymnast. I could have been in the Olympics, but I just loved power too much. Yeah. So I think the same thing is true about the limits that we have, that we were created to live with. God designed them for our good, and when we step out of them, chaos ensues. And it's no coincidence that the first sin, the first sin in the book of Genesis is rooted in the lie that we can be limitless. That we don't have to live the way that God ordained. Uh, The serpent, when it comes to Adam and Eve, says, did God really say? Did he really say that? Or, well, God doesn't want you to avoid eating from this tree because he knows that you'll be like him, a.k.a. you won't have limits. God knows that you won't have limits, so you should just go ahead and do it, and you can be limitless like him. So really, the, 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 first, the first sin is us rejecting limits and trying to live limitless, us rejecting God and trying to be our own God. So all this comes together to say this. In creation, we were made not to be all-knowing. We were made not to be all-powerful. We were made not to be present everywhere. So what I want to say to you is this very clearly. 
you were never, ever meant to repent of not being everywhere. You were never meant to repent of not knowing everything. You were never meant to repent of not having boundless energy. What you're meant to repent of is trying that. You're meant to repent of trying to be God. So that's the foundation of our limits. But let's look at the frustration of our limits. Second, I'm going to be looking at Ecclesiastes 8, 16, and 17. I have 15 and 16 listed up there, but that was, that was my bad. So if you want to go to Ecclesiastes, I believe it's Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, if I remember that correctly, it's in that direction. Um, but the book of Ecclesiastes, it's, it's wisdom literature. It's written by, uh, substantially by King Solomon, who was a king in Israel. He was renowned as the wisest person who ever lived. And this is what he had to say about our limits. So this is Ecclesiastes 8, 16, and 17. He said, When I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done on earth, how neither day nor night do one's eyes see sleep, then I saw all the work of God, that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. However much man may toil in seeking, he will not find it out. Even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find it out. It's uplifting, right? No matter how much you try, you're not going to be able to figure life out. That's what King Solomon is telling us. He's saying that there's no way that you're going to be able to figure it out. And he's one who would know. Uh, he is a classic example of a restless soul, right? Like he had it all. One of the wealthiest people to ever live. One of the wisest people to ever live. And for him, it wasn't enough. It wasn't enough. He says, no matter how hard you try, you are not going to figure life out. So how do, you, how do you respond when you hear that? Is it like, well, you're right, Solomon. I'm not going to be able to figure this out. Um, so that's good. Thank you for putting that on my radar. Uh, if you're anything like me, your response is like, hold my beer, Solomon. I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to figure this out. If I, if I had as much money as you did, I'd be fine. If I had as much wisdom as you did, I'd be just fine. You just didn't know what you were doing with it. I'm going to figure it out on my own. See, there's something frustrating about having limits, and it's frustrating to hear from someone like Solomon that you're limited and you're not going to be able to figure things out. In the same way, I don't know if you remember that interview with uh, Tom Brady a while ago. He had just won like five or six Super Bowls, and they asked him, like, what's next for you? And he said, hopefully happiness. It makes us so mad, right? Because it's like, that's, I want that. I want what he has, and he's not happy. It's frustrating. But we don't take that as like an opportunity to be like, oh, well, maybe happiness is different. We're like, no, maybe if I was just Tom Brady in a little bit of a different way, then I would be happy. But I think there are a couple different ways that we respond to this frustration. Just three ways. Um, I'm just going to put them on your radar. We, we respond by trying to know it all, by trying to fix it all, or by trying to be everywhere for all. I'm getting these from uh, one of my seminary professors, Zach Eswine. Um, so we respond by trying to know it all, fix it all, or be everywhere by be everywhere for all. So first, we respond by trying to know it all. So when we're faced with the frustrating limits of existence, we can respond by having this kind of like voracious desire to just know everything. The idea is like, if I, if I know everything, then I can't be surprised. If I know everything, then I'm going to figure life out. Uh, we kind of see this uh, dynamic at work when we think about like kind of social media um, and how connected we are. It's unbelievably easy to be aware of like every injustice that happens in our world right now. In fact, it's hard to not be. It's everywhere. 
And we introduced this idea, too, that if we're not aware of every single injustice that's happening in the world, and if we're not talking about it, then somehow we're part of the problem. And so out of a desire to not be part of the problem, right, we're hyper-aware of every single thing that goes on. But what this is, this is, this is us rejecting the God-given limits that we have. This is us living in a way that we're not designed to. See, when we, when we focus on every single injustice in the world around us, which is good to lament, it is good to call things what they are, it is good to call sin, sin, to call racism, racism, it is good to do these things. Don't hear what I'm not saying. But what I am saying is your ability to affect change is probably a lot higher within a three-mile radius of where you live than it is across the world. You are much more likely to confront injustice in, in, on campus, in class, in your place of work than you are across the world. But we, we reject this idea of being limited because we want to be able to fix everything. And so we actually don't fix anything. Or there's another way of doing this. We can kind of baptize this as Christians and think this way. This is what's at work when we say things like, listen, if I don't know everything about the Bible or Reformed theology, I am not going to be prepared to talk to people about Jesus. Or like, I can't really be a Christian unless I know everything, unless I've read every Francis Chan book, or unless I've read systematic theology backwards and forwards, or unless I have a Charles Spurgeon tattoo or something like that. Like, we have this idea that unless we know everything, then we can't be okay. We can't be okay. And what I want to suggest to you is that I think this is us believing the lie, you can be like God. This is us believing you can be like God and you can know everything. So we can respond by trying to know it all. Second, we can respond by trying to fix it all. Uh, faced with the frustrating limits that we have, we might try to overcome them by overworking. And we can do this in every aspect of our lives. We can do this in our schoolwork. We can do this relationally. Think about it relationally. Uh, maybe you're the sort of person who, whether it's in your friend group or your family, you just have a sense that if there is conflict going on around you, then you cannot rest until it's resolved. That, that somehow you need to step into every bit of conflict with the people that you love, and you need to overfunction in such a way that you're taking their problems on yourself. And you'll know you do this if you feel like an absolute mess all the time. Like you might even feel physically sick when there's conflict going on around you because you have to fix it. Uh, maybe a funny example of this, uh, Pam Beasley from The Office uh, she knows there's a person who doesn't like her, and she says, I just can't handle the fact that someone out there doesn't like me. She's like, I, I don't even like the fact that Al-Qaeda doesn't like me. Like, maybe if they got to know me, they would like me. Uh, this is the fix-it-all mentality at work. It, it, it's rejecting our limits. It's rejecting the fact that we're particular people, that we can't fix everything. Um, this is another thing that we can kind of baptize as Christians. Uh, there was a Christian missionary by the name of Henry Martin in the 19th century. Uh, he did amazing things. Uh, he he kind of led the way on translation uh, in India, translated the Bible into some native tongues. It's incredible work that he did. But he prayed this prayer. He said, Lord, I want to burn out for you. Let me burn out for you. And this man died in his 20s because he ignored the fact that he had tuberculosis. And he just wanted to keep working through it. He wanted to try and fix it all. But unfortunately, he died. 
and he left a fiance and a sister that was dependent on him behind. And the question is, like, how does God respond to that sort of thing? Like, like, does God want us to live that way? Or is that a rejection of our limits? I think of this uh, when I was an intern at the University of Kentucky. There was this, this freshman that I met with, and he, uh, I ran into him, and we sat, we're sitting down, and he just has this, like, crazy look in his eyes, like he hasn't slept in a long time. And he just said, Thomas, like, I can't sleep because there are people on this campus who don't know Jesus. Don't get me wrong, like, what can we affirm about that? I affirm the fact that he has an evangelistic impulse. I affirm the fact that he cares about the people who don't know Jesus. Please care about that. What this kid was doing was he was taking this on himself in such a way that he couldn't even do something like sleep because he was so worried that there were people who don't know Jesus on campus. See, this is what it means to try to fix it all. And I just want to recast this and say, isn't this just believing the lie? You can be like God. You can be like God doing everything. It's blurring this kind of, this this baked in creature-creator distinction. It's trying to be God. And then finally, there's a temptation that we have to be everywhere for all. We try to overcome things by overcommitting. I know no one in this room overcommits to anything, right? Yeah, we can, what, what we think this is, you can know this is you if like your, your constant self-criticism is that I'm not doing enough. Like what I really need to do is more. Uh, I need to work four jobs. I need to be an officer in five student organizations. I need to go to not one campus ministry, but five campus ministries. I need to go, well, local church, let's probably not do that because of all the campus ministries. I need to be super connected. Everyone needs to know me. Uh, it's, like, it's kind of like Hermione Granger uh, when she has the time turner uh, in, I believe it's in Prisoner of Azkaban. She's taking more classes than anyone possibly can, so she literally gets this thing that allows her to go back in time and be there. Like, would that, if we all had that, like, who wouldn't do that? We want there to be more hours in the day. We want to be able to do everything. And isn't this just us believing the lie You can be God. You can be omnipresent. You don't have to just exist where your two feet are. You can be everywhere. You can do everything. So in our frustration, we can respond by trying to know it all, by trying to fix it all, by trying to be everywhere for all. Lastly, I just want to consider the freedom of our limits. Is it possible that actually embracing the limits that we were created for can lead to freedom. That what we're actually looking for in all the things that we're doing can be found in just embracing our limits and living before God. Living before God. So we're going to get to Psalm 127, 1 to 2 later, but just a couple things before we get there. Um, How in the world can we be okay with limits in a world that on some level is limitless, right? Like there's ads for like age-defying cream all the time. On social media, like, you can actually be in more place than one on some level. Like, you can go somewhere and you can, like, zoom into your class while you're doing something else. Um, You can be texting a friend who lives on the opposite side of the world. You can constantly keep up with all of these people. This person that you met playing Minecraft in fourth grade can be, like, a person who is in your life, even though you've never met them. Right? We live in a world where it's more possible than ever to be limitless. So how can we say no to that? And embrace our limits. Well, in order to do that, we need to look at Jesus. 
We need to look to Jesus. And when we look to Jesus, we're going to see a couple things. First, we're going to see God himself embracing limits. In Jesus, God himself embraced limits. Uh, I don't think we think about uh, the humanity of Jesus often enough. Um, In Jesus, God himself embraced limits. Uh, Just think about it this way. Like, Jesus made fashion choices. He probably only had, like, two tunics, but sometimes he's like, man, this one... This one is for today. (laughs) Yeah, this is definitely the one for today. It has less stains on it, less sweat stains. We're going to go with that one. Uh, See, in his human nature, Jesus actually, he learned things. Jesus learned things. Uh, Jesus, in his human nature, had to rest. He got tired. He went and took a nap. He went away from people. People asked him to do things, and Jesus said no. Jesus could only be in one place at a time. People were asking him to stay, and he said, no, I'm going to go to this place. Jesus was limited, and he was constantly disappointing people with his limits. I think we just need to think about that more. right? That, that in Jesus, the infinite God is subject to finite limitations. The, the timeless God, the one who spoke the earth into existence, is somehow written into the story. And, and is subject to time, the creator comes into creation. Like, how affirming is that of our experience of living as created people with limits? See, Jesus came into this world and was subject to the same limits that we were, and he did not sin. It was not sinful to, for Jesus to not be a know-it-all, fix-it-all, everywhere for all. And so that should be affirming for us, that that God himself embraces limits. But that's not the only reason why Jesus came. We can look to Jesus and we actually see God's limitless love. We see God's limitless love. God wasn't just coming to affirm us, to affirm our limits. He was expressing his love to us in a way that we could understand in Jesus. You see, the one who spoke creation into existence entered into creation It's as if the author wrote himself into the story. And and why would he do that? He did that because there's nothing he wouldn't do to have you. There's nothing he wouldn't do. There's no limit he wouldn't embrace in order to express his limitless love to you. And Jesus, in his life, death, and resurrection, he makes the way for know-it-alls, fix-it-alls, everywhere-for-alls, to embrace our limits and to live with God as God and us not being him. We live under God's smile in Jesus, and we can learn to be friendly to our limits. So what do we do with all of this? We, we look to Jesus, we, we see God himself embrace limits, we see God's limitless love. How, how do we respond to this? How do we respond to this? Uh, I just want to give like a very concrete application here from Psalm 127. If you want to flip there, Psalm 127, 1 to 2. Um, when we embrace our limits, when we embrace our limits, we have the freedom to take a nap. Okay? You have the freedom in Christ to take a nap. Sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is take a nap. We see in Psalm 127, it says this. It says, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved 
sleep. Uh, Psalm 127 is kind of talking about these two big human things that we do. Human beings create things, right? We build houses. We create things. But we also preserve what we have. We watch over the things that we have. So the, the image here is of someone building a house and someone watching over a city. And in our desire to be God, we, we feel like these things are completely on us. Like, if I'm not making things happen, no one else will. If I'm not protecting what I have, no one else will. And we see this, what it looks like. It says, it is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest. I mean, like, who's done that in the last couple weeks? Getting up really early, going to bed really late, burning the candle at both ends. This is described as eating the bread of anxious toil. Probably not very good tasting bread. But when we look at Jesus, we see that God affirms our limits and he expresses his limitless love. And and when this sinks in, when this sinks in, we can become people who are comfortable being human beings who are loved by God. We, We can be people who are comfortable with the fact that we can't do everything for everyone. That we sometimes need to rest. That we can't say yes to every single commitment. We can do this And we can take a nap. It says, for he gives to his beloved sleep. In Jesus, you are God's beloved. You're God's beloved, and he wants to give you something very, very practical. He wants to give you rest. And embracing your limits, you can have that rest. See, when we see what Jesus has done for us, when we see that he has come and experienced limits, he has lived a perfect life, he has died a substitutionary death, he has been risen to heaven where he intercedes for us. When we see that, when we know that that's for us to restore us to relationship with God, we can have the freedom to say, I don't know. When someone asks you about something that you're tempted to just kind of give a hot take and you don't really know anything, you can just say, I don't know. Or, or when someone asks you to do something on top of your already you know, packed schedule, you can just say, no, I, I, I really can't do that. I need to rest. I need to make sure that there's some of me to be able to get up tomorrow. Or when someone you know, kind of starts asking you to, to, to be overly concerned about stuff that really has nothing to do with you, you can say, listen, I'm just going to be where my two feet are planted. Because God, in his sovereign wisdom, he has put me here. Whatever campus you're on, that's your garden that the Lord is giving you to till. And embrace that limit. Embrace that limit. Like, enjoy it. Search out what's beautiful on the campus and and fan it into flame. Find out what's wrong on the campus and oppose it. That's your garden. That's your square inch that God has given you. So because of Jesus, we can know the freedom of embracing our limits. Amen. Amen. Uh, Let me pray for us uh, and have the the worship team come back up as I pray, and then we'll continue on in worship. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you.